this morning for my prelude. I'm going to sing a song that's been such a balm to my heart. And Mary was gracious enough to send it through the song sheet this week. So if you'd like to follow along as I sing, you're welcome to. And I hope it will be a blessing and a balm to your heart as well. Watch 
morning on this Palm Sunday, we've had another week when our world has been turned upside down. But God remains faithful. His mercies are new every morning. The God who could stop this virus is the same God who sustains our souls through it. He sweetens our, his help with hope. Trust not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. God is sovereign. He reigns. He rules. He's working all things in accordance with the purpose of his will. And his will is mysterious sometimes. It involves suffering. And even though we don't understand, we will trust him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So today, since it's Palm Sunday, our scripture reading will recall the triumphal entry. And so look, let's look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11, and we'll read from there. And as you're looking that up, <clears throat> let me just mention that today's sermon ends our series in the book of James. We started this series last fall, and for me, it's like saying goodbye to an old friend. Uh, we've come to appreciate this book in new ways. Many have commented that they have... Um, They've been challenged by James' direct style. Uh, there are 54 imperatives. Imperatives are commands. 54 commands in a book that's only 108 verses long. Someone has called James the manual for Christian living. The book is about how our faith is demonstrated in everyday life. And the closing verses are an excellent, excellent conclusion to this book. For James ends on the topic of prayer. The Sunday after Easter, I'm excited to start a new series in the book of Daniel. I've been praying about this for some time, and I believe uh, the events of these last few weeks have only confirmed uh, what I've already been uh, leaning towards. Now also, our custom for the last seven years on Good Friday is to share our service with our sister church, the Covenant Life Community in East Lansing. And so it's my turn to preach there. And so the service will be live streamed and recorded uh, from Covenant Life Community Church. More information will be given to you this week in our flock update as far as how to tune into that. Next Sunday is Easter, and it will be a very different Easter for sure. But nothing can keep us from celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Encourage family or friends to join us online next Sunday. In a world focused so much on death, we have great news. Jesus conquered death. And so now for our scripture reading, Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and to Bethphage, Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter to it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, 
and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, Why are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! This is God's inspired word, and all of God's people say, Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Loving Father, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ever so thankful for his life, ministry, and for his death on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. But today, we celebrate not just, uh, not just on Easter, but as we do every Sunday, the truth that Jesus came out of the grave. He is alive, and he is seated at the right hand of you. Thank you for our salvation, for our redemption, our justification in Christ. Sins forgiven, reconciled to you, Father, adopted into your family, and dwelt by your Spirit, and held securely in your hands. During this troubling time, may we anchor our souls in who you are, our faithful, merciful, loving, and kind Father. We don't pretend to know your ways, but we know you are at work in our lives. It is a delicate balance for us to to walk between healthy precaution and sinful worry. Forgive us of our anxiety that is rooted in unbelief. We are daily reminded about the frailty of life. Uh, the scriptures say our life is like the flower that fades. But your word, Father, is eternal. May we anchor our souls in your precious and glorious promises. May they be light to our eyes, food for our souls, May your word sustain us, reminding us of your glorious person. Strengthen us this coming week. Help us not to lose hope in you. Whom do we have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. Our flesh and our hearts might fail, but you, Father, are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Lord, we pray for Nick today as he begins his radiation treatment Wednesday. And although Lois cannot accompany him into the hospital, you will. You'll be with him. And you'll be with her at her side as she waits. Continue to strengthen Jack as he is home. Grace Lori as she tends to his care. Help Barb as she begins a new cancer treatment. We ask, Father, for each of these individuals, for your will to be done. And yet we, you encourage us, you ask us, and so we do ask, you tell us, and so we do ask for the cancer to be destroyed by either miracle or medicine for your glory. We pray for our teachers and our church family impacted by the governor's decision this past week. Comfort Don, Charmaine, and Amanda. We think of Matthew, his job being on the front line, strengthen him during these days, protect him. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in the lives of those who have lost jobs or 
who are not working. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would provide for them. We are thankful, Father, that at this time we know of no one in our church family who is sick with the virus. And yet, no doubt, each of us know family or friends who have become ill. Meet their needs. Restore their health, we ask. May each sense your presence, and if they don't know you as Savior, may they come to embrace Christ at this time. And now as we sing, as we worship you in song, may we do so with hearts filled with your Holy Spirit. Teach us today from your word. Glorify Christ through this service and through the many other gospel-centered services across the state, in this nation, and around the world. We sing Hosanna. Lord, save us. Amen.
take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 5. There is possibly nothing more um, convicting, uh, not another topic uh, regarding our, there is possibly not another topic regarding our Christian walk more humbling than prayer. The truth is we know much more about prayer than we tend to practice. Now, to be transparent, I feel unqualified to preach on prayer. I know I don't pray enough. I easily become distracted. There are times when I fall asleep. I have struggled with unanswered prayer. But throughout the Bible, we're told to pray. And here it is in our text. James mentions prayer seven times in this text. He alludes to it twice. May we not just learn about prayer, but may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. So, here in our text, there are three commands that James gives to us. There again, he's making these imperatives, these commands on prayer. First, number one, we should pray for suffering. Look at verse three or 13. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. The command here is in the present tense. It means let him or her keep on praying. The word suffering refers to any kind of difficulty like the uh, virus that we're experiencing. We've been quarantined. Our schedules are disrupted. People are afraid. What's James' advice? He tells us to pray. You see, prayer must not be our last resort. Prayer must be our first response. I love how the New Living Translation handles Philippians 4, 6. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. You see, our natural reaction to suffering is often complaint. We grumble. We throw pity parties. We worry. Dear friends, no, we must pray. You say, well, what should we pray for? Well, We've been looking through the book of James these past few months, and James doesn't want us necessarily to escape from our trials as much as he wants us to learn lessons from the trials. We must pray for joyful endurance, chapter 1 and verse 2. We must pray for wisdom, chapter 1 and verse 5. We must pray for maturity and growth, chapter 1 and verse 12. James then links praise with prayer. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Praise is a form of prayer. So the first command that James gives to us here is we should pray when suffering. Look at the second command, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. The second command is the elders should pray with the sick. Now, these are controversial verses. The Greek word here for sick means weary or weak. It, it refers to someone who is seriously ill. It implies that they're on their deathbed. And from these verses, we find three truths that we now want to look at. Truth number one, the seriously sick are to involve the church leadership. 
the word elders is used. Elders refer to those given spiritual oversight of the church, synonymous with pastor. They are the shepherds of the church, and they're always seen in the plural. Sometimes a pastor, sometimes as a pastor, I am the last to know when someone has been hospitalized. Many years ago, not from our church, but many years ago, someone said, Pastor, I'm disappointed you never called on me when I was in the hospital. Well, to be honest, I never knew they were in the hospital. The one who is sick is to take the initiative. Uh, why are they to call for the elders? Well, more on that in a minute. But again, truth number one, we should pray when suffering. But then truth number two, we should pray, the elders should pray with the sick. And then this the seriously sick should involve the church leaders. Now, let's look at the second truth that we find here. Uh, prayer is the right response in sickness. Um, there's nothing wrong with praying for healing. We can and we should pray for physical troubles. Now, just skip down to verse 16. Uh, James writes, The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. This tells us who can pray effectively. The righteous person. Who is righteous? No one is righteous. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. I am not righteous in and of myself. We are made righteous by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 3, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We just sang a few minutes ago, draped in his righteousness, I am justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. You see, God takes our sin, and he places it upon Jesus. He placed it upon Jesus on the cross. And then by faith, when we ask, God takes Christ's righteousness, and he puts us, puts that to our account. That's when we are born again. That's when we're saved. You see, um, God only promises to hear the prayers of those who are his children, who have been made righteous by Christ's sacrifice. The question this morning is, have you accepted the righteousness of God by faith? The Bible tells us to, to repent of our sin and to trust Christ for what he did for us on the cross. Now, James thinks of an illustration of one who did pray effectively, a righteous man who prayed effectively. Look, look at verse 17. He writes, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah the prophet held a prominent place in Judaism. James stresses his humanity. He had a nature like ours. Yes, he was a mighty prophet, but Elijah was not perfect. He became fearful. He was depressed. Um, and yet Elijah prayed, and God answered his prayers. The point that James is making is that God answered Elijah's prayer. He can answer our prayers too. Now, there's no power in prayer itself, but rather prayer links us to the God who is all-powerful. I am tempted to think my prayers don't make a difference. Elijah proves me wrong. So back to verse 14. 
What does it mean to anoint the sick with oil? Again, these are very controversial verses. We hear televangelists selling oil that they blessed, uh, guaranteeing healing. These, these types of charlatans are not new. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is heretical, and we need to avoid such false teachers. But here are these words, and, and, and so how are we to understand them? Well, there are three interpretations held by good and godly Bible students. The first interpretation is the oil is symbolic. To those who believe this view, the oil is figurative of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is used throughout Scripture. Uh, or oil is, symbolized, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit used throughout Scripture. So this is figurative. Um, speaking of the Holy Spirit's ever-presence. Secondly, the other interpretation is that the oil is ceremonial. Uh, this is a matter of consecration. The sick one is being set aside. Uh, David was anointed king of Israel by having oil poured over him. It was an act of blessing. So some believe it's, it's symbolic. Others believe it's ceremonial. And then the third view is that the oil is medicinal. What did the good Samaritan do with the victimized man? Well, Luke chapter 10, verse 34 says, He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The wine, the, the alcohol and the wine, would have sterilized the wound. The oil was like a soothing, uh, soothing agent in the Middle East. It would be much like our skin lotion today. This is the view I take. I, I believe this is medicinal. You say, well, why do you believe it's medicinal? Well, there are two Greek words for anoint. There's one that means to ceremonially touch, like Christ, he was the anointed one. And the other Greek word is to rub into the skin, to massage. Secular Greek literature used that term to plaster a wall. And that's the term that James uses here. Uh, to James, there's no conflict between medicine and prayer. God uses both, miracle and medicine. All of this is to be done in the name of the Lord. In other words, according to God's will. We can't ask God to do anything unless uh, it would be in agreement with him. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The prayer of faith is not some magical form of prayer. It's not some special type of prayer. All prayer must be of faith. Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We are to pray. We are to have faith that God hears us, that he cares, that he will answer. Now, his answers are not always in agreement with my requests. If I had been one of John the Baptist's followers, I would have prayed for his release. How could it be God's will for a drunken king to chop off John's head? But it was his will. If I had been one of Jesus' disciples, I would not have thought it God's will for him to be crucified. But thank God it was his will, for he died for our sins. Faith is not something we manufacture. I believe, I believe, I really believe. Faith is a matter of trusting in God's promises. How do we get faith? Well, the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 
The question is, is, is James guaranteeing healing? He says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, listen carefully. To say that the sick cannot be healed because they do not have enough faith is not only cruel, but is unbiblical. And yet James' words raise tensions within our own personal experiences. We've all prayed for a loved one to be healed, and they were not. Sometimes they died. My mother died of pancreatic cancer. We prayed for her. We prayed for God's will to be done, but we also prayed that God would, would um, heal her, but he chose not to. Um, does God heal today? Yes, he does. Does God always heal? No, he does not. Paul wasn't healed of his own thorn in the flesh. Paul did not heal Epaphroditus there at Philippi, nor did he heal um, Trophimus from Ephesus. Timothy had health issues, which is why Paul told him to drink a little wine for his stomach problems. Every time somebody recovers from sickness, it is from God. It is the Lord who will raise him up. God is the source of all life and health. Sometimes he uses medical treatments. Other times individuals recover and there's no medical explanation. And sometimes believers, strong in their faith, die. This is a sovereign mystery that we just simply don't understand. And so we pray with Jesus. Lord, your will be done. So, let me repeat these, um, these truths. Uh, first, uh, the seriously sick are to call for the elders of the church. And then secondly, prayer is the right response when we are sick. So, there's one more truth. Sometimes, it is the, sometimes sickness is the result of personal sin. Now, I want to be very careful here. I want you to listen carefully to these verses. Look at verse 15, uh, the, the second sentence in verse 15. Uh, Paul, or James, says, If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, again, I want to be very sensitive. I want to be very careful. In the broadest sense... All sickness is the result of sin, Adam's sin. Sickness is part of our broken world. COVID-19 is a reminder that we live in a cursed world, a world that is subjected to, to sin, judgment. And yet, Scripture teaches that sometimes, I said sometimes, sickness is a spiritual discipline for believers who are unrepentant with their sin. This was the case with some believers in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Again, let me be clear, all sickness is not the result of specific sin. Look at the text. James says, if he has committed sins. Some sickness, Jesus said, was for the glory of God. However, here in this situation... This sick individual was aware of unrepentant sin. He or she had hardened his heart or her heart against the Lord, and there was some sin. And I believe that's why the elders were called for. Now, those of us with extra-sensitive consciences 
Let's not go to the extreme here. Such sin was known, but unconfessed. It was in defiance, willful sin. God convicts. When God convicts us of sin, we are to confess it. And once we confess it, God graciously and mercifully forgives us our sins. This individual had not. This is why confession is called for, to acknowledge the sin, to repent from it. We confess sin in the circle of influence. So the second command, elders are to pray with the sick. Now we want to move into the last command here in James. It is always distressing when someone is reported missing in one of our national parks, um, search and rescue teams spring into action. Well, James tells us that if we're a Christian, we are part of God's search and rescue team. Look at verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The third command, we should pray for the prodigal. Though Prayer isn't specifically mentioned here. I, I believe it's implied. James isn't talking about evangelism. He's talking about restoration. He uses the word brothers. If any among you have wandered. As believers, we wander. We sing the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This believer has seriously strayed. The text tells us, look at it, it says he wanders from the truth objective biblical truth. This is some sort of doctrinal or moral deviation. Now, great caution must be exercised when seeking to restore the wandering saint. In my experience, it's very hard. Sheep bite. Death is pictured here as a way of life, a, a wrong direction. But when the prodigal returns, there is cause for great celebration. How do we do this? Galatians 6, 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you, you too be tempted. We must do it with tenderness, with a spirit of gentleness. We must do it in humility, lest we also be tempted. And we must do it in a non-judgmental spirit, you who are spiritual. George uh, Whitfield used to say, There go I, but by the grace of God. 1 Peter 4.8, Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't ignore sin. Love confronts sin. Love is ready, though, to forgive and to restore and protect the offender once repentance has been sought. And so there the book ends. James concludes. Here we have heard, that we are to pray for suffering. We are to pray when sick. We are to pray for the wanderer, the prodigal. So what's the take-home truth here in this section? This is what I wrote down. As believers, we are called to prayer. Our lives are to be marked by prayer. We have said that these are unprecedented times. What can we do? We can pray. Pray for our government officials. Pray for those on the front lines, the medical uh, personnel that are working. Pray for God to use this crisis to bring many people to himself. 
pray for protection, to comfort those who are sick, to, for those who have lost loved ones. God wants to use this crisis for our sanctification. Pray for that. We need to pray. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus said, Pray and do not give up. Let's pray. Father, forgive us of our prayerlessness. Help us, Lord, not to use prayer as a kind of a foxhole prayer, the last thing that we do. Not, oh, Lord, nothing else has worked, so let's pray. No, may prayer be our first response to suffering. And we pray for our government. We pray for those in authority over us. Give them wisdom. Lord, we pray for sustaining grace during this time. This is, for some of us, this is difficult and it's hard and, and we, we tend to worry and fret. Lord, help us to entrust ourselves to you and to your care. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to trust you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you.